Welcome to episode 9 of the Snake of the Draft podcast. I'm your host, Jacob Vines, and you can find me on Twitter at jsnake underscore dff. In this episode, I have Adam Hutchinson coming back to the podcast. You can find Adam on Twitter at therealadam underscore h. He is the medical expert for at the Undroppables and a writer for at the FF Champs. Today, we're going to be talking about Rashad Penny, LaVisha Chenault, and Tua Tagovailoa. So welcome back, Adam. How are you doing today? Hey, man. Um, doing well. Appreciate you having me back on. I think we joked uh, on the first episode that if I, I was going to tank your show or not. But since then, man, you brought on some heavy hitters. You got Kate from Blast Ball. You got, uh, you know, Marvin from, from Dynasty Nerds. Um, I don't know. I, I, I'm big into comedy. Uh, I like what I follow a lot of stand up comedians and they always talk about like when they're coming on, they don't want to go after on stage after some heavy hitters yeah here i am going on after some heavy hitters so i'm a a little intimidated but excited to be here man well i had to bring you back on because i know everybody saw that rashad penny video and got really excited and so then i was like oh let's talk about a couple other players because uh like one player lavishka chanel i don't really know much about i haven't dug into him and then i think two is always a good player to get reminded on so uh you're 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 a heavy hitter in your own in your own words, so don't don't sell yourself <laughs> short on that as well. I mean, I appreciate it. I appreciate it. <laughs> and since you last came on, I added a question for the guests. So I'm going to have you answer this question. Uh, what is one hobby that you really enjoy doing that does not relate to fantasy football? Yep, w- one hobby. So this is a this is a new hobby. Um, I don't know if you know. I, I live in Florida, and in Florida, everybody golfs. It's like a thing to do to golf. Um, my fiance and I lived in an apartment. It was a little smaller. I had golf clubs, but everything was just, it was hard to get to stuff. A lot of stuff was just kind of put away in storage. But uh, in March, we've moved into a new house and we're kind of getting settled in and spacing out a little bit. So once I've gotten settled in, um, I've kind of picked up golf a little bit more. So that's kind of my new hobby. I'm not very good. Um, <laughs> still working out a couple of things, but uh, outside of fantasy football, that's kind of something that I've been focusing on, just practicing, trying to get better at. So golf, sure, and yeah, golf is uh, a tough sport. I've actually only been on the golfing range once, and it is completely different than any sport I've ever played, and it's just tough. It, yeah, and honestly, like it's definitely a sport because I've worked out a couple of things where. My, my main objective, honestly, at this point is just to hit it straight. You know, that's that's what I'm trying to master. And I can I've gotten consistently better at that. But playing 18 holes of golf and doing that multiple times, it, it definitely wears on you. I'm getting some like golfer's elbow and things like that. Where I'm like, oh, man, I got it. This is a, this is really a sport like I can tell towards the back nine. Like I'm definitely worse than when I started. So yeah, I give those yeah, guys credit. I- for sure. I think anybody that starts thinking a certain thing is not a sport, like you said, do the full 18 holes, do the full thing, and you'll start realizing you're getting fatigued pretty quick. Like, it's, Well, think about those guys on the PGA Tour Tour. They do 18 holes like three or four days in a row. You know what I mean? So like that, it's a it's a marathon for sure. Like I, I it's, I've definitely found a new appreciation for the sport. For sure. Uh, it's definitely one that I do plan on getting involved in later on in life. Uh, but we'll, we'll see. I know that I'll be one of those weird guys starting to hit my club on the ground, throwing it. Uh, I, yeah, it'll be an I've adventure. 
I've been there. It's, <laughs> it, it's fun, but yeah, it's definitely one of those things where like, it, and that's the other thing is it's, it's time consuming to, to get better at it. And, um, it can take a whole evening or, or even a, a whole morning, you know, if you're playing multiple holes of golf. So it, it's definitely one of those things that like, since I've graduated PT school and now I'm kind of like settling in and get my life together, I've got some extra time outside of some of the stuff I do for fantasy football that I've, I've really picked it up a little bit more. Awesome. So let's go ahead and get to the, the man of last week. Rashad Penny. So to give everybody a little bit of background, Rashad Penny had ACL surgery around the middle of December. Uh, also, it was reported that his ACL surgery required additional cleanup. Don't know exactly what that means. Couldn't find any extra info. Uh, so Penny is about seven months post-surgery. So let's talk about Rashad Penny's video of him doing ladder drills. Uh, so do you think that Rashad Penny is ahead of schedule or is he right on schedule? Or what are your thoughts on that, Adam? Yeah, and that that was a, a big popular video, and I, I talked a little bit about it on Twitter. But my, my main thoughts, honestly, is um, I wouldn't say he's ahead of schedule. I wouldn't say behind schedule. I think this is exactly where he's supposed to be right now in his recovery. Um, if I had a client that was coming off of an ACL surgery, this is around the time frame that I would start doing some of these things. And I think what's important to talk about is because people I saw some people on Twitter talking about like, oh, um, no, he should have been doing this a month ago. Or, you know, for ACLs, there's been a lot of research that's gone into that and specifically in sports medicine. They want to figure out what's the best type of surgery. They want to figure out what's the best type of rehab program, anything that they can do to get these players back to sport quicker. There's been a lot of research into it. It's shifted from more of a time-based criteria to more of a um, criteria-based rehab protocol. And what that means is they want to make sure these guys are hitting specific benchmarks, okay? So it doesn't matter if it takes you, you know, four months and a week to get to this spot or if it takes you five months to get to this spot. Before you can move to that next phase of progression, you're going to have to demonstrate a couple of specific uh, criteria before you can move on. So I don't want people to get too hung up on the timeline things. But with that said, you can kind of gauge an idea of when somebody's, I mean, unless there's a catastrophic setback or there's something else going on, you, you've got a pretty good idea. And around the six or seven, seven, six or seven month mark is when I would think you would start some of these ag agility drills, ladder drills and something like that. Awesome. So with this video being released and you said that he's about right on track. So week one is right around nine months, uh, which is, again, I know you're saying it's switching from away from a time-based criteria, which it's been normally like around nine months to more of a uh, function-based or just trying to see if they're getting to a certain level of function. So do you see Penny being ready by week one or do you think it's too early to tell or what are your thoughts? So I, I have a couple of thoughts on that. And that's a, that's a really good question because that's what everyone wants to know. They want to know, is he going to be ready for week one? So, I mean, getting down the nitty, nitty gritty here, there's a, there's a couple of things. I don't know if there's a lot that we're going to get from video. Like I wouldn't need to see multiple clips of Rashad Penny uh, videos or things like that. Cause I don't know if it's going to show you a lot. It's, basically just the, him doing the drill. They're short clips. You're not going to gain a whole lot from that, but just seeing him doing some of the drills, you can kind of gauge where he's at. The not the week one, he is literally on that like nine month cusp. And you mentioned it and I, I kind of talked about it. I don't want people to get 
hung up on that nine month benchmark. I think that's what we've got in our, our heads that like everyone that tears an ACL nine months out, they're going to be back. Some guys take 10 months. Some guys take 11 months. Some guys take 12 months. And that honestly, that is okay. It doesn't mean anything. It's not anything against them. Um, it's not, they're not working hard enough. It's not that they're, you know, weak or their, their knees really messed up. It, it just takes time for the body to heal and, and progress. Um, there is an interesting study that I found from the journal of orthopedic sports medicine that I subscribe to and I follow just for physical therapy things and, and liking to stay, uh, you know, up on current trends. And there was an interesting study in there that talked about players that return or athletes and people that they include in this study that were around their average age was around uh, 21 years old. So I think Penny falls in that because he, I think if I'm not mistaken, he's around 24 years old. So it's the same demographic as him, but athletes that return to sport nine months uh, prior to nine months following an ACL surgery and then nine months are nine months after an ACL surgery. And they found that the players that returned nine months or sooner were seven times more likely to either re-injure their ACL leg or, injure the contralateral leg, the other leg, um, following an ACL surgery. So with Penny, I think week one is September 13th. I've got that written down here. And his surgery was around December 10th, give or take. I don't know exactly when he had surgery. I know when he injured it, but I would assume it was a couple days after that. So that really puts him right at that nine month cusp mark. So I think that instead of trying to say from his video or trying to map out based on those timelines, like let's just like look exactly and see what the Seattle Seahawks are doing. And the biggest thing for me that the Seattle Seahawks did is they went and signed Carlos Hyde all the way back in June to bring him in as a, as a running back. And to me, that says, these are the people, these are the doctors that have firsthand access to Rashad Penny. They're working with him every single day. And they said, as an insurance policy or to give Penny more time, let's go and get Carlos Hyde. So I know that was a lot to digest, but coming back full circle. So what that tells me is that they know that that nine month time mark is cutting it really close. They know that for athletes, they want to focus more on a criteria-based protocol and they don't really care about a timeline. So I think there's a decent chance that Penny starts the season on the pup. If he doesn't, I wouldn't be surprised if he misses the first, you know, two to three games of the season. And I think that's probably what they should do. Cutting it that that nine month by week one, that's cutting it really close for him. That I would be worried that he would be at a much higher risk of re-injuring that leg. Yeah, and that's a great point to mention with we already have seen the Seattle Seahawks sign Carlos Hyde. And that gives them more security and that they can let Rashad Penny start on the pup, which I'm trying to remember, is the pup six weeks? Do you know off the top of your head, Adam? Yeah, if they – so there's – there's an active and there's a reserve pup. If you're on the active pup, you can be deactivated it. And I, this is going to be tricky because the preseason's truncated this year. There's not any preseason games and it's a shortened preseason. But basically, if someone's on the active pup, up until week one, they can be taken off that pump and they can play right away. But once you're placed on the reserve pup, you have to miss the first six games of the season. Gotcha. Okay. That's 
something I should know, but thanks for thanks for adding that in. So with um, Rashad Penny potentially starting on the pup and missing those first six weeks, and also with you have Chris Carson there, you have Carlos Hyde there. How do you how do you see Penny's dynasty value? And this is switching your hat from injury analyst to to fantasy football analyst. Yeah, and I, that's also a really good question because I, I play in a lot of fantasy football leagues, and I will say I have Rashad, I have some Rashad Penny shares uh, in, some, in some of these dynasty leagues, and th- I had him prior to this injury. It wasn't like I went out and acquired him, but if you have him, I think he's a hold. If you don't have him, I think he's a buy because I think he's going to. This is the most affordable that he's going to be. Seattle invested a first round pick in this guy, which is becoming more of a rarity for running backs. I mean. There's that big notion of running backs don't matter. You don't see a lot of teams invest first round draft capital in a running back. This is one of those rare ones that they did. From watching some Seattle Seahawks game, and I'm not a Seahawks fan. I don't watch every single game, but I've watched, I feel like, enough of them to kind of get an idea. Penny is their most versatile running back. He's one that when he's in the game, you don't know if they're going to run. You don't know if they're going to pass. He's a really good receiving back. He's better receiver than Carlos Hyde. He's a better receiver than Chris Carson, I think. I think this is honestly probably his last shot in Seattle that they want to see what they got. So he's been nicked up a couple of times. They're probably saying, all right, we've put all this draft capital in. We invested in Rashad Penny. Um, If he can't stay healthy this year, then they probably let him go or try you know, think of an exit strategy. So with that said, that's also a reason I think maybe they let him start on the puff because they want to bring him back fully healthy and then they want to say, see what they have in this guy. But I think they like him. I mean, they, I, I still think they, they really like him. So I think if you can get him cheap, I'm all about getting him in Dynasty. And if, I mean, if you have him on your team, you're not going to get anything for him. You're literally going to get pennies on the dollar, pun intended. Um, for, <laughs> for him. So why not just hold on and see, see what we have? Yeah. And I'd also add with Rashad Penny, just looking at his contract in 2021, he'll have a 3.5 ish million dollar cap hit and a $2 million dead cap. So I can see him being on the team still next year, which provides mm-hmm. an interesting opportunity with Chris Carson potentially being gone, which Next, like 2021 free agency for running backs is going to be absolutely nuts. It's going to be wild. Yeah, that's a good point because I I have heard about how that that is potentially going to just be a loaded um, free agency and that if you're a running back, because that's not to get too off script here, but like if you're a running back like Dalvin Cook or Joe Mixon, there should be highly incentivized to get paid or try to work out a deal now because – they could potentially be devalued uh, once free hit free agency hits because there's so many guys out there. Yeah, and continue the off scriptness. It's like Dalvin Cook, Joe Mixon, Alvin Kamara. Um, who else is on there? I guess Chris Carson could Fournette? be added. Leonard Fournette. Fournette. Yeah, there's a there's a ton of running backs there that, uh, as a dynasty owner of any of those, it does make me nervous. I think obviously Joe Mixon, Alvin Kamara, are the Oh, I'm forgetting one. Dalvin Cook are going to be the more mm-hmm. safer options, of course. But mm-hmm. still, like you could have it where you have like a Melvin Gordon and, he in, and they end up on a bad situation, which I would say the Broncos are not the ideal because Melvin Gordon is not the workhorse, or I don't expect him to be. Um, so it does have risk. Well, and, and for Melvin, he took from what he was asking when the Chargers were going to pay him. I mean, he took a serious pay cut as opposed to just signing that, that franchise tag. I think 
after because it worked out well for Le'Veon Bell and then it didn't work out so good for Melvin Gordon that it's not so cut and dry now that there's definitely a lot of some uncertainty. But yeah, so that, that's good. I didn't really realize that about Penny. That that's good that you brought that to to my attention. So I, I think they they are definitely incentivized. To, they want to see Rashad Penny healthy because they want to make some decisions this uh, next off season uh, heading into twenty twenty one. But the fact that they've held on and it's only been two years, but the fact that they've held on to him and been patient with him, I think they want him to be the guy they're trying to give him every opportunity to do so. So for me, that that's why I, I would try to acquire him. Yeah. And if he starts on the pup list, that's an excellent time to grab him. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> you could probably get him for a 2021 second. I wouldn't even honestly, be surprised. Honestly, if he started on the pup list, I, to me, that would be more of a reason to buy him because that's going to give him the he'd be around 11 months out and more time to get healthy his risk of re-injury would go down you wouldn't have to worry about that as much and it would say that the team is saying okay we 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 want this guy we value this guy so much so that we're not going to rush him back and we're going to let him take his time and then when bring him back when he's ready yeah that's a great point so we're going to move to lavishka chenault and uh out of yeah, your boy, you wrote an article at the Undroppables or uh, Uncutlist.com. Is that the website? Cantcutlist.com. Cantcutlist, thank you. Uh, mm-hmm. So what are what are your thoughts on Chanel? You already said he's your boy, so what do you think? Um, I, I love this guy. I want him on every single one of my teams. My biggest LaVisca Chanel uh, regret is that I don't have him on every single one of my dynasty teams. Um, I, I think he's a, a special talent, and I – talked about this a little bit on Twitter too. There seems to be this caliber of wide receiver that's becoming more popular in the NFL, this bulky built like a running back kind of yak monster after the catch wide receiver um, that you don't really, they're not like the prototypical wide receivers that we would typically see the, the AJ Browns, the Debo Samuels, the DJ Moore, Jalen Rager this year that teams just want to get the ball in their hands and let them, you know, do everything after the catch. And I think LaVisca Chenault is that type of player. Uh, I, I, I really like him. Awesome. So now, uh, do you have any concerns from like an injury standpoint? Yeah. And I, I wrote about that uh, for the undroppables on cantcutlist.com. I wrote a little article about his um, injury history and things like that. I some of his injuries, if he played a different position, I would be a little bit more concerned, specifically the shoulder for quarterbacks and overhead athletes that are throwing. He had a labral tear, but for a wide receiver, I'm not as worried about that. Core injury was basically, in my opinion, uh, an overuse injury. Uh, I wrote about this in the article as well, and I've got some of the numbers here. Colorado just ran this guy into the ground. They used him a ton a ton. He was their only player. I compared him to like some of the other wide receivers in his class that were used in a lot of different ways and looked at the seasons that they were at their schools. So players like Brandon Ayuk, Jalen Rager, CeeDee Lamb. um, And then I also compared them to some of the workloads of the running backs that we saw from the 2019 class. LaVisca Chanel in 2018 accounted for nearly 14% of his college offensive workload between receiving, rushing, kick return yards in 2018, 
um, 11.19%. Those were among the guys that I looked at. That was, those were top five. Like he was getting used a ton. The only guy that I think accounted for more of his team's production overall was Lynn Bowden Jr. And the caveat there is they played him a lot at quarterback. So he was touching the ball like on every single play. LaVisca Chenault, when they used him at quarterback, was more of like a wildcat offense type quarterback. But you compare that to some of the guys like A.J. Brown, Debo Samuel, D.K. Metcalf in the NFL last year for their respective offenses. And their percentage workloads were around 8% to like 7%, which is like nearly half of, of what LaVisca Chenault was getting, was getting exposed to. So circle that back to his injuries for the core injuries for the turf toes. When you take that into consideration, how much they were using him, I think it makes sense that injuries like that uh, start to accumulate and you start to see where they, they literally ran him in the ground. And I don't, I think Jacksonville wants to use him in a lot of different ways, but I don't see him having nearly the same workload that he did uh, in college. Gotcha. One question that I had for you that does relate to Chenault is uh, your thoughts on Gardner Minshew. Um, I know that some people think he's the future for Jacksonville. Other people think that he's not. So what do you see uh, with Minshew? Do you see him as the future QB for the Jags? That's a, that's a tough question. I'm probably not the best person to ask that because I, I, I live in Jacksonville, but I don't, I'm, I'm a Bears fan, so I don't watch a ton of Jags games, but I, I watch a couple. I think Jacksonville is going to be looking for a reason to draft a quarterback in 2021 to get the kind of their quote-unquote franchise quarterback. So Gardner Minshew is kind of up against it because I think he's going to have to prove – he's going to have to get give them a reason to not draft another quarterback. He's going to have to play outside of himself to, to show that he's – He's key can be their franchise guy. So he's going to have to do a lot, I think, in 2020. I like him. I like him for fantasy. I'm fine with him for LaVisca Chenault purposes or DJ Chark purposes. I think he's a good enough quarterback that he can get them the ball and let them do their thing. But I don't know if as a franchise what Jacksonville has in, in the long term. Yeah, so I agree, and I'm actually really skeptical about Gardner Minshew being the quarterback for the future. Um I do agree that he's great for fantasy, but you also have to, whenever we're talking about dynasty, look at the stability of a player at quarterback. And that's why in like something like Superflex, you do draft those earlier quarterbacks because they provide more stability. Uh, one thing I did want to mention that I, I just looked up is the current projected record for the Jags is like, two and 14 or four and 12, depending they're like over under is 5.5 wins right now. And if they end up being four and 12, three and 13, and they're in like a top three draft pick, I don't think Minshew will be back. Now, if Minshew can surprise and make the Jags eight and eight, seven and nine, nine and seven, he could be back because they don't have that draft capital. But uh, I, you brought a great point up about his 2020 production matters so yeah. much for him. Yeah, and I think I, I've read some stuff on the Jags and, and watched some stuff, obviously, because I'm, I'm local. I, I understand where the um, the skepticism is coming from for the team. I, I, I think they're good some days and, and bad some other days. But, I, you know, anything can happen. I think Gardner Minshew, he basically is going to have to win them, like you said, I think, 
three or four games. You know what I mean? He to get them at that seven or eight benchmark win total is can Gardner Minshew late win you three or four games? And if you if you believe in that, um, he might be a great dy- I mean, a great fantasy football buy or even I guess a dynasty buy because then they would be heavily incentivized to keep him. But um, time will tell, I guess. Yeah, and his contract is great for the Jaguars, which does give them that flexibility of they could either keep him around, have a cheap QB, or they could drop him, or not really drop him, but keep him as the backup, as a safety net, like they did with Nick Foles. So So here's the thing about the Jags that I don't know if a lot of people know because it's easy to make fun of the Jags. They've actually got a really good offensive line, like, and it's very young. It's a very young offensive line that's kind of coming into their own. So I think they could be a sneaky, good offensive team. If they've got an offensive line like that, if you're getting good Leonard Fournette, you know, that's going to follow the rules and come in and shape, which is a lot is a lot to ask at this point. But if you're getting good Leonard Fournette, that they can run the ball and kind of dictate games. And then on the outsides, you've got LaVisca Chennault and, and DJ Chark to throw to. They could be sneaky good that Gardner Minshew doesn't really need to play outside of himself. He just needs to, you know, hand the ball off to Fournette and let and make sure that he hits DJ Chark in the end zone a couple times. Yeah, and that's a that's a fantastic point with the offensive line, and that's something the dynasty as well as just redraft fantasy community I don't think harps on enough is how much an improved offensive line can change something for a team because you have teams like uh, the Jets they drafted a first round. O lineman, the Browns drafted a first line O lineman. Like, hopefully that helps. But then, like you already said, the Jags have a core, and they're young, and they could they could make a difference. It's and these true. guys are these guys are really young. I'm blanking on their names right now. I'm not I'm not great with offensive lineman names, but they got a couple guys from 2017, 2018 that when they got them, they were they were young coming in the league, like 21, 22 years old. That. I'm sure they have. It's been an adjustment period, but they. I'm telling you, they got a sneaky good offensive line. People don't really talk enough about their offensive line. I think they could be really good. That's definitely gonna be something I'm gonna look into because I already like DJ Chark. I like Gardner Minshew for redraft. So that's that's a great point. Uh, now we're gonna go to Tua Tagovailoa, and so Tua has not been talked about a ton since the NFL draft. I know we have the little speculations of when will Tua be the starter in 2020 will he play is Fitzpatrick a good dynasty or yeah good dynasty buy for Superflex or a good redraft pick so what do you think about Tua taking the field in 2020 uh first off nailed his last name I struggle with his last name I, I feel like I <laughs> break it down I feel like I break it down a couple of times what I'm saying but you nailed it rolled right through that was perfect man I um but talking about Tua in 2020 I think you, you've asked a couple of hard questions on the show already. This is another tough one. So I've seen him compared a lot to the way Patrick Mahomes was managed his rookie year in Kansas city behind Alex Smith. For me though, the difference there is that Kansas city team with Alex Smith, people forget that was a really good football team. They were like the best team in the NFL for a while. They crushed the Patriots uh, first game of the season, that Thursday night football game. That was that Kareem hunt breakout game. That team offensively was moving the ball and they were really, really good. So they weren't going to go away from Alex Smith for any reason that year, because they didn't want to mess things up. The difference is with the Miami dolphins, I don't think the Miami Dolphins are going to be the best team in football. I could be wrong. Fitzpatrick could be amazing. But 
or that team as a whole could be amazing. But I think there is a, we were just talking about the Jack schedule. I looked at the, uh, the Dolphins schedule to start the season, the first six games of the season, Patriots, Bills, Jags, sneaky, sneaky Jags team, Seahawks, 49ers, Broncos. With, optimistically, I'm thinking let's give them two wins. If they start the season two and four by week seven, what is stopping them from putting two in? I, I just, I get it. I, I get it. If they want to give them a red shirt year, cause they're not really playing for a whole lot and they want to get a higher draft pick. I get that. But you sit, we say that every single year. And then it seems like the community, the fan base, the coaching staff pressures the front office and says, Hey, we got to play this guy. So I could see Tua coming in. So I'd like him for that reason. We, we talked about on our last show about Scott Fishbowl and strategies. I was really tilting in my Scott Fishbowl draft around the 13th round because both Fitzpatrick and Tua were, were, on the, were on the board when I was picking. And I was like, I had at that point, I had Matt Stafford and Joe Burrow as my quarterbacks. And my rationale, I picked Tua. And my rationale behind that was, I get it could be a waste to pick. He might not ever play, but in a league like the Scott Fishwell, I want to swing for the fences. I was probably never going to play Fitzpatrick over Stafford or Joe Burrow unless those guys got hurt. And if they got hurt, I'm probably out of it anyways. So I wasn't going to play Fitzpatrick over those guys, but there's a chance that Tua could just be phenomenal if he gets a starting job and could light the world on fire. So that's why I just went swung for the fences with Tua there. Yeah, I like that pick. I think, uh, well, I picked Justin Herbert late. He actually fell in my draft, and it's the same idea. Swing for the fences. Uh, I already had two com- quarterbacks I was comfortable with, so I didn't plan on starting anybody. And if he starts and he's good, same with Tua. More power to us. The the guy that picked four picks behind me took Fitzpatrick, and then like in our group chat he was like, Oh, I saw someone who took Miami quarterback and my heart stopped because I wanted it to be Fitzpatrick and I saw it was Tua. And then I, that made me tilt more because I was like, oh, should I have taken – the guy got in my head a little bit. I was like, oh, my God, should I have taken Fitzpatrick? And maybe I could have got both at the turn. It was like this big dilemma I had. But, I mean, I, I had fun with it. I, I'm not I'm not mad about it or anything, but it's, it's always fun when you're doing those drafts and you have a group chat and someone says something, you're like, oh, I should have just – what did I did I do the right thing? Yeah, I, I know that feeling. Uh, it, it's happened with me with trades, and you just it eats you up a little bit, and then you're just like, "Hey, it happened. Got to move on." Yeah, uh, but yeah. For, for every one of those, like, and trades are the same way. For every one of those, there's always that one where like you pick somebody, and someone, the person right behind you is like, "Oh, I wanted him," or like you make a trade, and someone's like, "Oh, I was trying to get that player." So like, it, it goes both ways. That's a fun of fantasy football, but that one hurt because I was like, <laughs> I, I. It was a. Let me just say, it felt like forever from that thirteenth round pick to my fourteenth round pick because I just thought about that Tua Fitzpatrick thing the whole time. I was like, should I have done it? I was like texting people too. I was like, what do you think about this? Well, I want to say that I like the pick. I think you did a good job. Yeah, I appreciate uh, it, man. <laughs> so now switching to more of a dynasty focus, do you see Tua's hip being an issue for NFL longevity? So I don't for his hip. It was a weird injury. You don't – me personally, I've never treated somebody that had a posterior – so that's backwards for for layman's turns – a backwards hip dislocation. You just – you do not see that. Main reason being is 
the way your hips set up in the back, there's a lot of bony reinforcement. And then the front of your hip, there's only more like ligament and muscular reinforcement, which tends to give a lot, it's a lot softer than bone as, as people know. So you see a lot of like anterior hip dislocations, frontward hip dislocations. You don't see a lot of back ones. It's not a very common injury. I was a little bit nervous about going into it, but from following some other people and following Tua and looking at him throwing and things like that, I think he's going to be okay. So I'm not worried about that injury from a longevity concern. I think there is some concern from talking to people that watch a lot of Alabama games and watch a lot of Tua as he has a tendency to hold onto the ball too long and take big hits. So that's something that he might have to work on and that, but that can be fixed. That can be coached. You can, you can theoretically work out of that. Um, So that would be my own concern about longevity is if he's taking a lot of big hits, that's a concern, but for the hip specifically, I'm not really worried. Okay. So now continuing on the dynasty thoughts. So, uh, according to DLF, they have Tua at the top, as a top 12 dynasty QB being drafted right now in startups. So would you take Tua in front of quarterbacks like Matt Ryan, Aaron Rodgers, Daniel Jones, Matthew Stafford, or Jared Goff? I think in a dynasty league startup, it kind of depends on how you're constructing your team. So are you going to win now or are you trying to build something for the future? Not to make this all about me, but again, circling back to, so you can kind of get an idea of how I feel about Tua and where I value him. Um, We did a a dynasty startup, super flex league uh, with the Undroppables, and I took Tua at QB 14. So I didn't have him, I wouldn't rank him as the top 12 QB in dynasty right now. I took him at QB 14, but I did take him ahead of Joe Burrow. So that was maybe a little spicy. I, 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 some people were a little bit surprised about that, but I think he's the most, you know, one of the most accurate college quarterbacks of all time was dominant from a young age. I think he's got some skills that translate well to the NFL level. So I like him in that guard, but I necessarily wouldn't take him ahead of Matt Ryan or, or, or I'm sorry. Yeah. Matt Ryan, Matthew Stafford, Aaron Rodgers. I definitely would take I don't I'm not a big Daniel Jones guy. I know there's a big community that likes Daniel Jones. I'm not a big Daniel Jones guy. From what I've seen from Jared Goff, I'm not a big Jared Goff fan. Um so I would maybe take him ahead of those guys, but I wouldn't take him, you know, again, it depends on my team. But uh I think Aaron Rodgers, Stafford, Ryan's got have some stuff left in the tank that they could still be good. So I, w- I wouldn't rank him as a top 12 overall in Dynasty, but I don't mind reaching for him and grabbing for him if you're constructing your team differently. Yeah, and uh, I also – I'm involved in a new – it's like a Dynasty tournament league. It's called Pro Dynasty League. It just started up, and I drafted two as the QB 16th. And okay. I felt like that was an absolute steal. It is a two-copy league, so it's a little bit funky, and I'm trying to just make sure I got that right. But it was into the sixth round in a super flex league. Scoring super funky, which mm-hmm. uh, hurts quarterbacks. Uh, there's a lot of negative points. It's okay. like Scott Fishbowl, but you don't get yeah. positive points for completions. So it's a lot of negative points. Gotcha. So negative points for sacks and all that. And I there's a lot of people that I, I – specifically within the undroppables that played dynasty for a long time. And they have some, some good thoughts and some good theories. And I, one that they talked about is um, that quarterbacks, especially the rookie ones tend to get overvalued a little bit, especially in super flex leagues. You haven't even seen these guys play. So um, they tend to, you know, 
people tend to reach for those guys. Um, you know, what, what, how valuable was Jameis Winston and Marcus Mariota two or three years ago in a dynasty league? Superflex, and you know they're backups now. So you got to be careful. I, that's why, like, if I'm going to reach for one, I want them to be a special talent. So I'm okay with Joe Burrow. Joe Burrow threw the most touchdowns a quarterback's ever thrown in college, playing in the toughest co- uh, conference in college football in the SEC. And Tua has been, like I said, one of the most accurate, prolific quarterbacks in college football. Um, you know, and he did it at a very young age. He came on as a freshman in the, in the national championship game and lit the world on fire. So I, I want, I would want some outliers if I'm going to take those guys in a in the startup. And those are two guys I would make the exception for. Yeah. And that's a really good point related to taking rookie quarterbacks. And I forget who said this. It was on a dynasty blueprint. I believe they're doing like a series on building your roster. And it was talking about rookie drafts and um, a guy mentioned that if you want a, or if you need a quarterback and you have the 1.01, you should trade the 1.01 for someone like a Matt Ryan plus, because you know, Matt Ryan is going to like, okay, highly likely to be a top 12 quarterback where mm-hmm. I would argue, I don't see Burrow being a top 12 quarterback this year. Uh, Tua, obviously it depends where he starts, but um, it's just more likely if you have that Matt Ryan person, mm-hmm. um, versus trying to get that young quarterback because if I know we always say three to five years window, but then you're drafting this quarterback with the the thought of like, maybe they're Drew Brees, you know? (laughs) Yeah. It's interesting. No. And that's kind of the point that I was making. I I think it was actually on the undroppables podcast, uh, the unscripted podcast with um, Paulie and BZ and and Terminator um, where they were talking about that in theory as well. And that that's kind of the thing is the rookies, there's going to be an adjustment period. You've also seen like bad teams ruin rookies in the sense that like it totally trashes their development. Um, Kind of worried about that with Sam Darnold right now, but there's a chance that, you know, the Bengals are bad. And if Joe Burrow just got, gets the snot knocked out of him his first year that that totally kind of changed changes his career trajectory yeah um, you never know you never know that's very true so that's it for the show adam i do want to thank you for coming on again uh can you remind everyone where they can find you and other projects you may be working on since you last came on yep uh you can find me on twitter at the real under uh at the real adam adam underscore h on twitter and um you can find all my medical work uh at the undroppables cantcutlist.com. Awesome. So yeah, everybody give Adam a follow. Uh, he he did post about Rashad Penny, which made me want to reach out and talk to him on the podcast because I thought it was very actionable content. Uh, so thank you again, Adam. And also everybody make sure to subscribe, rate, and review to the Snake in the Draft podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. And just want to thank everybody for tuning in. And let's be snakes this draft season. Thanks for having me, man.